There we go. Um, we've got John Bonfilio joining us from uh, Mexico. Are we having a short break first, or are we going straight to... Uh We'll go straight to uh, John, John Bonfilio's our man in Mexico. Uh, John, a very good morning to you. Hey, Martin, how are you? I'm absolutely fine, thanks. Uh, yourself? Yeah, yeah, all good, all good at this end in the West. So, well, you say all good, um, but uh, oh, good I now. <laughs> <laughs> a figure of speech. I say all good within these four walls that I currently find myself, and yeah. slightly further afield, definitely not all uh, that no. good. Precisely. The World Health Organization saying uh, Latin America is the new uh, red zone for uh, COVID-19. Um, it's, I mean, the, the cases are rising. Well, I mean, Brazil, I think, is now the third, well, and that's just on the figures that have been declared, the third worst country in the world. Yeah, actually now I've gone up to second worst, worst country in the world for deaths as well as um, as well as infections. And, and the thing, as you say about this, is that Latin America saw it all coming, the, the slow gradual move across the world they had time to prepare they did you know most governments did within perhaps the limited power structures that they have did try to to, to prepare but essentially they were ultimately un, undone by um what the washington post recently called the familiar cast of foes so you know standard inequality poverty corruption and i think more than anything else really a kind of a, um, a di mass distrust in government and institutions, which mean that people don't really pay attention to um, to what to what information is being handed down through through no fault of their own, really, in the sense that they have had generations of relationships with these government institutions and have been let down by them. So why would they trust them now? Yeah, and um, I, I, one interesting fact I thought about the uh, coronavirus outbreak uh, in Latin America is that in, in Venezuela, there's a sort of, you know, where we're getting very, very low figures, but obviously there's you know, far more cases than they're reporting at the moment. But there's been a, some cooperation between Maduro and um, the chap that we in the West sort of recognise uh, as president there, you know, they've decided to, to join together, unusually. Yeah, I think they, they, they both realise that, um, that if, they, if they don't or if they don't pay lip service to this kind of, um, to this false parley during this, um, this difficult period that, that obviously the whole continent, but Latin, that Venezuela is going through as well, that it's going to come back and, um, and bite them in the backside. So I think like, I, I wouldn't take it seriously at all. I think they're just paying lip service to this collaboration because I think both sides feel that they 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 kind of have to. You're right about figures coming out of Venezuela. They they do remain low. I mean, the one thing I'd say about Venezuela in the con I mean, they're, they're way down on um, on a lot of the other countries in the region. And the, although they're obviously going to be higher than than are being shared or that are being officially confirmed, the one thing I would say about Venezuela is that. Um, essentially because of the the economic embargo and the fact that it's a pariah state it is something of an island economy um so there's not that much movement in and out of the country so um i i, I wouldn't necessarily take their figures literally but I, I do definitely think that it's not 15 20 times um the rate that's been for example brazil's clearly is way above the uh, the advertised rate
Yeah, and where you are in, in Mexico, because uh, to some extent, and certainly in the in the other America, in the USA, uh, the the George Floyd killing and the demonstrations that have followed that have sort of um, made the coronavirus story take a back seat. Uh, and you, you have a sort of similar incident that's happened in in Mexico. Yeah, and it actually happened a month ago, uh, where this uh, this thirty year old builder called Giovanni Lopez was um, was he wasn't wearing a face mask in the uh, in the west of, of Mexico in, in the state of Jalisco uh, in, a pre, in a in an unpronounceable place called Isla Juan de los Membrillos which is a toughie but he was picked up um, uh, by by these cops and essentially taken in uh, his family were told to go and pick him up the next day they went to the police station the police officers there said go to the hospital they went to the hospital and there, there was his dead body with signs of torture and a, and a bullet wound to the um, to the leg. And this, the footage of him being arrested got released on Wednesday. And so there were mass demonstrations, as you say, picking up on the vibe of uh, George Floyd um, north of the north of the border. And also because this is not a new incident here in Mexico at all. I mean, it doesn't. There's not very much in the way of um, black Mexicans. There's some on the east coast, but but there is a lot of abuse of indigenous mexicans and if you like lower caste mexicans by by the authorities and in particular the police who think that they can act with impunity um around them and basically just seem to have taken this this guy to the police station uh, because they wanted to you know for no particular reason certainly wasn't a legal arrest in any in any way shape or form and then he emerged dead the next day and this is causing massive um civic ructions across the west of mexico um, at the moment, as I say, not not new. I mean, there are some very famous high-profile cases that have that we've all heard internationally over the years. Probably the most famous is the Ayotzinapa, 43 six years ago in the state of Guerrero, where 43 students were uh, peremptorily disappeared from one day to the next. Yeah, and it's, despite in, despite international investigations, etc. And actually, the amazing thing about that is that even the federal authorities were um, were put into the into the line of, of the accused in that context. Uh, I mean, the federal authorities on the whole tend to stay out of this, but, but the, the list of the usual suspects with, with the 43 there was local municipal police, the local mayor, the state police, the military, and even the federal police who apparently knew what was happening and, and just turned a blind eye. So this kind of endemic um, corruption is massively problematic across, across the country for sure. Yeah. Uh, can I just turn the clock back for you, uh, John? Because um, Holly, who produces this Farago, uh, has uh, sent me a cutting from 2016 where um, you it's talking about you being stranded. Um, one of my colleagues here at already, Sam Delaney, um, it says here, speaks to an adventurer about being stranded in the jungle for six days. John Bonfilio, and I tell you, it's, it's, it is you, it's not another John Bonfilio, uh, got stuck in the Mexican jungle for six days and was forced to eat raw fish before being rescued by locals. I never knew this about you. Uh, tell me all. Tell me all about this. I mean, I'm sure you recall it from four years ago. Yeah, I, I wish there were other John Bonfiglios kicking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were. There was a few of us that were doing um, a new uh, route uh, through uh, through the jungle, the southern jungle in in Mexico, close to the border with with Guatemala, and it should have been a very straightforward two day journey, Max. You know, from point B, but um, during the course of the of the first day, things started to to go wrong, and there'd been 
a lot of heavy rains recently, so the, the jungle was absolutely flooded and there was a series of, of new rivers which had emerged which weren't there before. And it basically led to, um, as, as the cutting says, to an extended period in, in the in impenetrable jungle, made the more ridiculous by the fact that I lost all of my uh, kit and caboodle. So I was in my underwear oh. for the whole six days. Oh uh, we didn't have anything else. Yeah, we lost everything. We lost at one point. We had to back. We had to, we lost one boat in the rapids. So we, by, by the end of the first day, we'd probably gone over like eight waterfalls. Um, and then just uh, at that point, leeches were our biggest worry. And then oh. the waterfalls became the next biggest worry. And then there was another big worry. And then there was lack of food and clean water and poisonous animals. And then how do we get out, etc. Oh, so every day it was it was it was a bit like the like Bolsonaro and, and Trump every day sort of upping the ante with with something else <laughs> that they say. Uh, so yeah. by the time we we look we looked as being the biggest worry, right? You think well I'll take him. How many how many hundred leeches you throw at me, given the state of what what was to to continue to take place during during the course of the week. But yeah, eventually we found, we found a clearing in the jungle and, uh, and a tree which was kind of a, a bit above the water and had a view to the, to the sky, etc. Um, and there was a flowing river, uh, under, under the tree. So we figured by that point it was, it was best to stay put because where we'd been for the previous two days wandering through the jungle was definitely not somewhere we wanted to go, to go back to. I mean, we were in anything from, uh, shin deep to neck deep water the entire time. Ooh. Um, you know, I mean, there was hundreds of spiders crawling on us at any given moment, oh. etc. And as I say, we'd, we'd lost everything, so we just had to make do. So we waited there for a few days, and then eventually there was a couple of guys who, um, who'd been alerted to the only family that live in that middle part of the, of the jungle. And, uh, they, they actually, they were joking about, about it with us because they said we weren't going to come this afternoon because we thought you'd already be dead. Um, but yeah. they did come up and, uh, the first, my first sighting of them actually, because two of us had gone off into the jungle to try and find another route out. And we, the, one of the only things we had left was a whistle because the jungle was so impenetrable. Every 15 minutes, the two people who were left on the tree would, would whistle to, so we could keep the direction, you know, back to where we had to go. Um, and then the whistling on that Friday afternoon was going mental. So we knew that something was wrong. So we, we jumped back into the river upstream and flowed down back towards where the, where the camp was, and the, my first sighting of the two guys who came to rescue us in inverted commas was two guys with big guns on a boat, and I thought, oh, this is this could be another <laughs> another amplification of the situation. But no, actually, mm-hmm. they were looking for us and um, um, and took us back to their back to their place again. Absolutely amazing in the middle of the jungle where they lived and, and how they managed to negotiate all the little rivulets and rivers, etc. You know, upstream, downstream, take a left here, take a right there, etc. And then got us out, got us out the next day. Wow. I mean, I was going to ask, did you fear for your life at any time? But you must have. I think it was one of those things that, um, like there was four of us in, in the, in the group and we were fairly tight knit and we didn't really let the demons get, get inside. So we, we, we did pretty well to, um, to, to concern ourselves and to focus on the minute by minute and what we had to do to get through the next half hour you know, the next two hours, etc. So I think uh, there, there was no point at which we we sort of, um, like I say, we allowed um, the demons to enter into into our heads. But, of course, you know, you you look back on it and you think, well, how much longer would yeah. it have been? Could we, would it have been another week before? Because we knew that at some point people were going to come for us. The worry always, I guess the unspoken one, my own head was uh, at some point if people don't come, we're going to have to make, 
you know, another beeline for it and try and get out. But do we do that in two days? Do we do that in a week, in 10 days? Because obviously we're going to get weaker and weaker. So that was, I guess that was the, the, the present worry in my head that I wasn't sharing with, um, with the others. But beyond that, we were pretty good. Like I said, you know, getting through using, we had a mosquito net left, so we caught fish in that. Um, chop the head off. I was going to yeah, ask net. you about, about the raw fish. I mean, that, that was probably what interested me as much as anything, because I know if it's a sort of river fish, they do tend to be pretty bony. Um, and I was only, and you had nothing to cook it with, obviously. So it's raw fish straight out of the river. I mean, what, what sort of, what did it taste like? How did you eat it? Did you sort of just, oh, it's just it yeah. The bones? yeah, pretty much. I mean, they were little fish, so you just kind of, you know, chomp we had the only we had a little pair of scissors as well so we'd chop the head off with, with the fish with that and then um and then we just munch on you know the the fish itself um and when you when when what you're eating is kind of sustenance then you know you're not worried too much about the culinary delights and the head <laughs> we would use to we would use to put back in into the mosquito net and then another fish would come in and then we'd use that for and i also recognize a tree that was there called a sapota de agua which is like um, i don't know it's it, i mean it's quite uh there's not much flesh in it but i knew i recognized it from other trees that i knew so we had we had a couple of those trees nearby that we could eat the flesh off um as well so to be honest where we were we probably could have survived another three four weeks you know unless some, <laughs> unless an incident had happened and unless a snake or you know something like that had, had taken place we had clear clear clean water to drink um, and that's one of the reasons why we stayed put is because we didn't want to encourage, you know, incidents to, to take mm. place. But as I say, as, as people were looking for us and didn't find us at some point, you know, I knew that they were going to, uh, you know, sooner or later they give up. But luckily they, well, they found us before they did. Excellent. I mean, having seen uh, the African Queen and uh, having seen Stand By Me, the leeches would have, you know, when I, when I see the leeches in those movies, I, uh, you know, that would have done it for me. I, I, I couldn't have stayed there if there were uh, leeches all over the place. And you presume you're pulling these things off, leaving huge welts in your skin. It wasn't too bad because they're quite small leeches there. So, I mean, there are hundreds of them. It's mostly when you go in, into the water and, you know, off the, off the moss. So they're quite easy to, to brush away. They're just an annoyance. It's not like the, the big ones that cause the welts, oh. but they're just still sort of ever present and you're, um, yeah, and you're finding them in every, uh, yeah. nook and cranny. And is it the adventuring? Is that what, is that the reason? Because it's often uh, puzzled me why you're there in, in southern Mexico, uh, because your accent doesn't sound Mexican to me. Not <laughs> Mexican. You sound like... You, it's a cunning you disguise. Belong, <laughs> yes, you sound, <laughs> you sound like you belong somewhere in the home counties. Is it for the, you know, reason of adventuring that you, you're, you're there in southern Mexico? The, the adventuring was just something I think they put on the press stuff when that oh, stuff came right. out. I mean, I, I wouldn't, in fact, I'd go so far as to say I've got a, some uh, ethical issues with adventuring, if you like. Um, yeah. uh, there's a lot of, of, I guess, kind of environmental, socio-environmental work that we, that we do here in, in southern Mexico in terms of in, environmental initiatives and programs and stuff. So that's predominantly why. But that also means that with that and the journalism, that we end up going to remote places, like really off the beaten track places, um, yeah. quite a lot of the time and that was you know one of the reasons why we were in that um in that in that part of the jungle and really interesting because with it being right on the border with guatemala as well there are lots of things i learned just during those six days there about stuff that's going on in that border area in that impenetrable and in inverted commas border area which uh, which is definitely not 
publicised and which w- would be one of the reasons why I would probably be reticent to go back then, not just because of the jungle component, but also because of the human complications that the uh, that the border between Guatemala and Mexico has has in evidence. So I was also happy that we got out for those reasons as well as the you know the the danger and peril of nature re- reasons. Yeah. Well, we're very grateful that you, you know, you come on here every um, Friday night uh, and uh, tell us about what's going on in your part of the world because it's, it's always fascinating and there's nearly always something uh, bananas going on somewhere in, uh, in South, I'm just quoting the Woody Allen film now, uh, going on somewhere in, uh, in Latin America and um, bless you for coming on and telling us all about it. Uh, and, you know, we do appreciate it. Thanks ever so much, John. No problem, Martin. Take care. Talk soon. And you, uh, indeed. Uh, John Bonfilia there joining us from uh, southern Mexico. Uh, Martin.